Now we're going to read from the Word of God. I invite you to turn with me in the Bible. We're going to read from Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We want to welcome again our brothers and sisters coming to us this morning. Uh, It's a wonderful delight, a wonderful surprise to have you here. And I do hope you can stay for lunch. Now, our reading this morning from the Bible is a little bit longer, uh, and part of the difficulty here is it's a, it's a longer narrative in Scripture, uh, it, and it continues over longer than what we could do in one week, in one sermon. So um, this reading today spans three scenes, the desertion of Jesus, the uh, trial of Jesus, and the denial of Jesus, and uh, it's just all one continual flow. I'm going to start reading at verse 41 to connect it to the context from last week. Mark 14, starting at verse 41. Then he, Jesus, came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, My betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then They all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Against the high priest, again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power 
and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. The reading of God's word. Who can you trust? Well, can you trust your government? These days, people hold a a strange combination of both insistence, but also cynicism about government. People can be very insistent about their candidates, their party, the policies. But then at the same time, people can be cynical about their own candidates, parties, and policies. We, we trust our side, government, but, but our trust is tentative, suspicious, very thin. Well, who can you trust if you can't trust government? Can you, can you trust your church? Can you trust your denomination? Well, we, we've seen terrible scandals among leaders, among leaders in churches, leaders in denominations, leaders even in places like homeschoolers, terrible scandals. And it leaves us very uncertain about trusting anyone who has a name, anyone who's prominent. Who can you trust? Can you, can you trust your blood relatives? Can you trust your families? We have a whole generation, a whole generation of young people who are now entering the years when they could get married, but they're terrified, terrified to enter into marriage because of all of the toxic marriage conflict that they saw in their own home, between their own parents. And it could have been a bad marriage that stayed together, or it could have been an explosive marriage that fell apart. Either way, it left the children and now adults. It left them unwilling to take the risk of entering marriage themselves when they grew up. Who can you trust? Can you trust your friends? Can you trust your friends? And some of you may ask, what friends? We're more, we're more technologically connected to one another with our devices than we ever have been. But 20 to 50% of the population 
feels profoundly socially disconnected from people, young people especially. They're the most tech-savvy, and they are the most lonely today. But even if you do have friends, even if you do have friends, eventually your friends disappoint. They move on. They move on to other friends. They, they move on to start families of their own. Or, or they hurt you. And, and you move on from them. We all will hurt and disappoint one another eventually. Maybe that's why Jesus said he did not entrust himself to a man, because he knew what was in a man. Our passage today reinforces this this broad, broad broad-spectrum loss of trust that's all around us. And when we look at the text, two things come out. One, men are faithless and false. Men are faithless and false. Then secondly, Jesus is faithful and true. Jesus is faithful and true. Let's look at these two things in the text. We start by seeing that men are faithless and false. People are faithless. They don't stay loyal. They're not loyal enough. They don't keep their promises. People are false. They lie. We can't always trust what they say. Look at how this comes out in the desertion of Jesus, in the trial of Jesus, in the denial of Jesus. Seven ways that we see here that men are faithless and false. In the desertion of Jesus and his arrest, verses 43 through 52, Jesus has just been in the garden praying with his disciples, verse 43, and then a great multitude, a great crowd with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. This great group of people have come to arrest Jesus. Not not a single officer, but with a whole crowd of officers. An armed crowd. Likely, it's the temple guard who are here. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders sent them. And those groups, those leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they are the religious authorities and they are also the local civil authorities in Jerusalem. They were called the Sanhedrin, the council. They were called the Sanhedrin and Rome had given them freedom to be in charge of religion as well as most civil matters except for capital cases. So here's the first way that men are faithless and false. First of all, the system treats Jesus unfaithfully. The system treats Jesus unfaithfully. In our days, some people have noted that there is a disproportionately higher use of armed force in arresting certain groups of people is recognized. We recognize that it's unmerited, but it's the reality. Jesus here faces the same thing. Verse 48, Jesus says, have you come against a robber or a bandit or a revolutionary with swords and clubs to take me? Jesus says, this show of force in my arrest is unwarranted. He says, why are you treating me like a robber or a rebel? I've been openly teaching, living in your community, living in your churches. I've been in the temple all this time. So Jesus calls them out on this. 
Now, if you're listening and you're investigating Christianity, did you realize that Jesus opposed excessive use of force in police arrests? He speaks to it in his own arrest here. Now, when the system treats Jesus this way, what happens? What's the result of it? Why, uh, what, what's the effect when Jesus is treated with undue suspicion and undue force? It puts shame on him. It's shameful for him to be arrested this way. There's a, a well-known black minister and musician named Shai Lin. Maybe a lot of you young people know him, listen to his music. Uh, he tells of the shame and fear when undue armed police force was used on him. He was walking down the street as a college student. Ten police cars rolled up on him. He had not done anything. He was handcuffed, he was thrown in the back of the police car, and he was left there to wait and to tremble. He had to wait until a white couple was brought to the window to come and to identify whether or not he was the one who had committed a crime against them. It wasn't him. It wasn't him, but he had no idea which way it would go. And, and when they let him go, the police officer said, that worked out well for you, didn't it? He was terrified and he was ashamed. Jesus knows public mistreatment. The system treated Jesus unfaithfully and it brought shame on his name in his arrest. The second way that men are faithless and false, Judas, his friend, Judas, his friend, betrays Jesus with a false kiss. It's dark in the garden. The city's mobbed with hundreds of thousands of people who have come for the event, for Passover. Jesus comes from out of town. Jesus is from up north. There's no photography at that time. There's no internet. There aren't any circulated images of Jesus. How will the officers know who to arrest, whom to arrest? Here's how. They have to have a signal. Judas, the friend of Jesus, will hand Jesus over to them by walking up to Jesus, greeting him, and kissing him. Verses 44, 45. Whomever I kiss, Judas says, he is the one. Judas goes up to Jesus, verse 45, and says to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. The kiss in those days was like, it was like a warm handshake. But Judas is Jesus' friend. Judas was Jesus' friend. Jesus considered Judas to be a friend. Matthew 26, 50, Jesus says to Judas, friend, why have you come? And Judas is also Jesus' disciple. Jesus was his rabbi. Judas was also one of the elders in Jesus' congregation. He was one of those 12. So Judas uses an affectionate greeting, a warm handshake, to stab Jesus in the back. That's just, that's just cold, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like the wife who finds out that her husband has been cheating on her for the past two years. She's in shock. Part of the shock, part of the shock is thinking back over the past two years, all those times when they were together and the husband said to her, I love you. Those times when her husband kissed her, but he was in the middle of an affair. Or those times over those two years where the husband even knew her, but he was betraying her. 
with all those kisses and kindnesses, the unfaithfulness, the falseness, is a knife that goes deep. Judas, the friend, betrayed Jesus with a false kiss, with a lie. People do that to one another, don't they? The third way that men are faithless and false, the entire church deserts Jesus. The entire church deserts Jesus. For those who who love Jesus, those of you here who love the church of Jesus, the body of Christ, this is painful to see, painful to hear, but that's what happens here. In the face of the armed authorities, everyone, everyone in Jesus' little congregation deserts him. All of the leaders, those 12, they were preachers. They were ordained ministers. They all ran away. Verse 50, they all forsook him and fled. The members, all the other followers who were there, they run away too, whether they were old, whether they were young, whoever. Verse 51, this, this unnamed young man, apparently he's wealthy because his, his linen make of his clothes indicates he was probably well off. He's so desperate to get away from Jesus, he leaves his clothes behind and he runs away naked. The entire congregation leaves Jesus alone with his enemies, with the haters. None of them, none of them are willing to stand with him. None of them are willing to be arrested with him. And this fulfills the prophecy of scripture and the prediction of Jesus himself, Mark 14, 27, quoting Zechariah 13. He said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now note how their desertion was against their church promises. By deserting him, they broke their church vows. Just an hour ago, verse 31, they all, they all insisted that even if they had to die with Jesus, they would not deny him. They would not scatter from him. And in church membership here, We promise to support the worship and the work of the church. We promise in our church membership promises to labor for the peace and for the purity of the church. In deserting Jesus, the entire congregation broke their promises to him. Congregations will let you down. The congregation was faithless to Jesus. Now, let's move on to the trial hearing of Jesus, verses 53 through 65. Uh, And here we see a a fourth, fifth, and sixth way that men are faithless and false. We see false judges. We see false witnesses. We see a false judgment. False judges, verse 53. Jesus is arraigned before the Sanhedrin, before the council. They're kind of this blend of church authority and civil authority. They're the leaders of Judaism. They hold a broad civil authority over the temple and the city. So why do I say that they are false judges? They were in office, weren't they? Yes. But verse 55, how are they performing their office? Verse 55, they tell us that they have arrested Jesus and they've predetermined his guilt. They sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. The verdict was in before the trial began without any evidence. These are unjust Judges, it's wrong. It's wrong. God hates it. But Jesus knows what it's like 
to be judged prejudiciously. He went through it. That's what happened to him. But they, the council, they hold power in this situation. They are in authority. It is the hour of darkness. Have you ever faced a judge, a court, which was predisposed against you from the start? You knew going in there was no point. It was already decided. Or maybe not in the court. Have you faced a family member who was predisposed against you from the start? And are you predisposed against someone else from the start? Maybe it's your immature son. He always gets it wrong. He's probably done it wrong again. He never gets it right and he never will. Is it your unspiritual spouse against whom you are already predisposed against from the start? That's just the way they are. They're always late. They're always so self-centered. They're always so inconsiderate. Have you already made up your mind against them? Have you consigned them to a pit that they are never going to get out of? Men will judge falsely. Jesus was judged falsely. Fifthly, let's look at the false witnesses. This is a a very big theme in this whole section. False witnesses. The commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness. One of the top ten. Verse 55 and following. The Sanhedrin sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him. But their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him. Verse 59, but not even then did their testimony agree. In the court hearing against Jesus, there were many witnesses, many witnesses. None of them was credible. There was smoke, but there was no fire. They tried to trash his reputation. They tried to take his words out of context. They made up words, and they made up stories about him. Jesus had the whole world speaking against him, and none of it was true. Men will speak ill of you. Expect it. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. It can happen out there in the world, at work. It can happen in here, in church places, people speaking falsely, accusing one another falsely. It shouldn't happen, but it does. False witnesses. Men bear false witnesses. False witness against Jesus. Then six, look at false judgment rendered against Jesus. The false judgment rendered against him. Verse 64, they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. They beat Jesus. Men, acting as false judges, beat the Son of God. It's unthinkable. They beat the Son of God. Their hatred, their scorn, spitting, spitting on his face. The New Testament tells us that an elder must not be a striker. But they struck 
Jesus. Look at the terrible hypocrisy going on here. They beat Jesus, and then tomorrow they would take the Passover meal. They, they struck an innocent man on the face, and the next day they would take communion. They were violent, unjust men who were very scrupulous, scrupulous about some religious rituals. The church leaders excommunicated Jesus. It was a false judgment. Men err in their punishments. Men discipline incorrectly. As judges, as witnesses in judgment, men were faithless and false to Jesus. Now let's move on to Peter's denial, the closing verses 66 through 72. Peter ran away from Jesus. When the guard arrested him, Peter ran away. But in verse 54, Jesus, Peter comes back to Jesus. He comes back at a safe distance. Verse 54, while the hearing occurs inside, Peter's outside in the courtyard at night, standing around the fire. Who else is there, though, getting warm around the fire? Some of the household staff is there. Some of the guard, the temple guard, are there. Now, we can commend, we can commend Peter for this. He tried to follow Jesus, to return to Jesus. Being in the courtyard, that was risky. He could have been arrested. Peter is the one, we we learn from other gospel accounts, Peter is the one who struck off the ear of the high servant of this household. So it's risky for Peter to be there, to get into closer proximity to Jesus and his hearing. But, but while Jesus is being tried inside the building, and this parade of false witnesses are coming up, one after the other, all of them false witnesses, Peter's outside. Peter's withholding his true witness for Jesus. Verse 54 sums up Peter's fearful and divided loyalty this way. He followed Jesus at a distance. He followed Jesus at a distance. Peter had some measure of desire to follow Jesus, but only at a safe distance. You know what it's like, don't you, to follow half-heartedly, safely, at a distance. And so here we see the seventh way that men are faithless and false. Our friends drop us. Our friends drop us. Men unfriend us. People unfriend us. Peter is false to his promise to Jesus. Peter is false to who he himself is. False to his promise to Jesus. Peter has just sworn to Jesus, I will die with you, verse 31. But here he is. He's run away, and now he's just following at a safe distance. Peter made a promise to Jesus. Peter broke the distance, broke the promise. Peter's also false to himself. He's not true to himself. Who was Peter? Peter was the rock. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. But now, Peter has denied Jesus. He's held back from Jesus. And that's the question for us. Are you a full disciple? Or are you a distance disciple? Are you just following Jesus at a distance? Peter has three chances, three chances to close the distance between himself and Jesus, to stop this following Jesus at a distance. Three chances to bridge the gap that he has opened up. Verse 67, they say, were you with Jesus? Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Verse 69, they say, he was with Jesus. Peter says, I was never there. I was never there. Verse 70, they say, you come from the same town as Jesus. Peter says, I never met the man. The Greek in verse 71 is very curious. They don't quite know what to do with it. Peter could be saying, may God curse me if I'm lying. I never met this man. He could be saying that. But it also could be this. Peter could be saying, who is this man? I curse him. He's nothing to me. He's anathema to me. Peter is another false witness against Jesus, even outside of this court hearing. In the court of public opinion, Peter has become a yet another false witness. And when he thought about it, it says, he wept. And that's the end of verse 72. It's not what Peter wanted to do, but he did it. His cowardice controlled him. And we can all relate to that, can't we? We can all relate to that. We're afraid. We're afraid of people. We're afraid of of losing security in this life. Cowardice, very close at hand. It's so easy for us to hide in our safe bubbles where there's no risk, where everybody thinks just the same. But Jesus sends us out into the world as sheep in the midst of wolves, he says. So when you're at work and and you're at the break room or it's break time with others, are you afraid to say, Jesus brought my life back from the dead. I totally screwed up my life, but Jesus changed something. Are you afraid to say anything like that? Are you afraid to reveal your heavenly nationality? When when your close companion wants to walk in darkness, do you fear losing their friendship by walking in the light? When are you? When are you afraid to align yourself with the name of Jesus? When are you afraid to align yourself with the ways, the practices, the viewpoints of Jesus. What he says about having an inordinate hope in politics. What he says about having an overdeveloped security in your riches. What he says about wanting personal affirmation but wanting it way too much. There will be risk. There will be cost to following Jesus in this world. You cannot avoid. You cannot avoid all contempt. You you can't avoid abuse and prejudicial treatment by those who will hate Christians. It will happen. It happened to him. It will happen to those who walk as he walked. But we all get scared. We all get scared. We shut our mouths. We hide our discipleship. We don't talk about our rabbi. We're scared of what we'll lose. We're scared of what we'll suffer. And so, so we back off from Jesus. We just dial it down. We, we try to present as reputable, as respectable, as Christless 
were too embarrassed about Jesus to bring him up. You're a Christian. You're not true to yourself, are you, when you do that? But if you are a disciple, Jesus is not embarrassed of you. Does that surprise you? For all of your fears, for all of your cowardice, for for all of your sins, Jesus is not embarrassed of you. He's not ashamed of us. Hebrews 2 tells us, for both Jesus, he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason Jesus is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. He says, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Here we are. These are my people. Jesus is so unashamed of us, we who are cowards and sinners, that Jesus voluntarily represents us in court. So let's close with our final point. Though all men are faithless and false, Jesus is faithful and true. 2 Timothy 2 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Two things there. How was Jesus faithful and true to us? And, And in what way did Jesus not deny himself? The answer is in our passage, verses 61, 62. There Jesus is faithful and true to us. There Jesus is true and faithful to himself. Verse 61, the high priest asks him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? That's that's reverent speech for, are you the Christ, the son of God? For the first time in the book of Mark, Jesus publicly answers that question and he says it, I am. I am the Christ, the Messiah, the one anointed by God to save his people. He doesn't deny himself. This is his identity. He is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus expands this self-disclosure. He says in verse 62, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power. That's reverent speech for God. You'll see me sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus, quoting Daniel 7, is making himself equal in position to God. When everyone speaks falsely, when everyone is false to who they are, Jesus speaks the truth and is true to who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah who will suffer for the sins of this people and be punished in their place as if he was the sinner. He will be true to say it, even though Saying it will kill him. Saying it will bring a court conviction and a crucifixion for him. He will be true to who he is. The righteous sin carrier convicted for us. He will do it. And not only is Jesus faithful to himself, he's faithful and true to us by saying this. He knows that by revealing himself, it's going to trigger this blasphemy charge and his own death. Verse 64, that's how the high priest responds. You've heard the blasphemy, and they all condemned him as deserving of death. By confessing himself, Jesus embraces his crucifixion for us. 
He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. Jesus is God. But he took the punishment for blaspheming God in our place so that cowards and sinners could be treated like royal sons and daughters. And Jesus is faithful and true to us when we were unfaithful and liars so that we won't be beaten and condemned to death. You know the words of Isaiah 53. Jesus was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This is a dark passage. But running through this darkness is a golden line of hope. Something in this mess, all this faithlessness, something bigger than only injustice is happening. When he's arrested, Jesus says, the scriptures must be fulfilled. When the rooster crows to mark Peter's denial, Jesus' words are being fulfilled. Here's the hope. Here's the hope in all of this injustice, betrayal, unfaithfulness. Second Samuel 7, God speaking of Jesus, the King and the Son to come. God says, Jesus, he, the Son, shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. And that's what happened. When the high priest condemned Jesus and would see Jesus established on the throne forever, God established the kingdom by killing the king. God can build using destruction. Take comfort in that. Believe it. Look for it. And so that gives us a reason to worship. Here's why you should worship. Here's why you should come and offer praise to God. Among all those false witnesses who stood up and spoke that day, Jesus is the only faithful and true witness. There is awe that Jesus standing there the Son of God, let men lie about him. Let men tie him up. Let men abuse him, desert him, in order to save his fearful and unfaithful people. He just sat through it silently. He let it happen for us. Don't you admire that? Isn't that worthy of your worship? No one else, no one else has ever done anything like that. No one else could do something like that. And and when everyone speaks falsely or is false to who they are, Jesus will be true to you who believe. He was faithful even when it cost him his life. He will be faithful to you when your life is on the line. And so when you're alone, when you're deserted, when, when you've been bereaved, maybe your loved ones have died and you're all alone, you are joining in part 
the sufferings of Jesus. He knows being left alone. He knows it. And when you, when you are the coward, when you are the the disappointment, when you're the Peter who triples down in denying his friend, when you are the cowardly congregation that he saved through his suffering, how could you how could you ever be severe? How could you ever be intolerant with your own friends who disappoint you? But when they disappoint you, when you're betrayed, when you're disappointed by ones who you trusted, when you're deserted by fellow disciples, when you get falsely accused, falsely portrayed, you're hurt. You're hurt, but you're not shattered because you haven't committed yourself to people because you know what's in people. You've committed yourself to Jesus who will never desert you. He was deserted for you. He was misused and accused so that before God, no one accuses you. There are no accusers. And Jesus says, neither do I accuse you. Let's pray. O Lord, you know us. You know our sins. You know the smallness of our faith. But Lord, you loved us. It doesn't make sense, but you've proved that you loved us because you sent Jesus, and Jesus loved us, knowing what was in us. And he was willing to take all of the condemnation that wasn't his, it was ours, and he made it his, and he gave us a faithful record in your sight, the righteousness that comes by faith. Lord, everything is different. We pray that you would keep us hoping in Jesus and faithful to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.